0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the E-commerce Odyssey podcast. I'm here with Paul Raffleson of Raffleson Law. And Paul is an expert, in fact, the expert in e-commerce law. So we're going to talk about all things to do with law and e-commerce. So, first question, Paul, what what points of law do e-commerce sellers need to take most pay most attention to and what do people kind of fall down on?
1: Okay, so. Uh, great question. I do have to preface this by saying the word expert is kind of like a no-no in the legal world, but I do ah. know a lot about it. Let's, <laughs> let's just say I know a lot about e-commerce and law. Let's just say. I've done, a lo- I've done it for a advice. number of years. It's my it's what I specialize in. It's my focus, but uh, they don't like the word expert. Uh, so I just want to be... Uh, but to answer your question, what is e-commerce law? E-commerce law is an interesting... Um, it, it's an interesting concept that it sort of, um, sort of came up with it when so little background about me 20 years ago or no i don't know whatever 2000 like three and four was however many years ago that was from here uh i used to sell on, on amazon i used to sell on half.com and and all these platforms i was a reseller um i was doing what they call retail arbitrage they didn't call it retail arbitrage back then um so i've been in this game for a long time my wife has actually worked for seller performance at amazon so i used to hang out with the seller performance team so i was not and because i was a seller i was naturally interested in the conversations that they would have over dinner so I've been around this e-commerce world for a long time, even though um, I've, I've never been a seller like my clients, like at that scale. But um, you know, I was a seller early on in life, and what I ended up doing in my life after kind of leaving leaving my you know business of selling to kind of help support law school and, and all those things is I went to work for really big companies, companies like Microsoft, Walmart, GE, so companies that focused on national commerce and international commerce. And what drew me to e-commerce is this idea that. We are supporting something called the international small business. This is a concept that never existed, could not have existed but for e-commerce, right? There was no such thing. Nobody say I'm running an international small business out of my kitchen table in the 1980s, right? That just could not happen. Um, it did happen with the with the event of e-commerce. So what I think e-commerce law is, I think it's a hodgepodge of having to know just the right amount of certain bodies of law that are really important and having a national and international minded focus, right? So so it's a very different scenario to help you. If you want to open a tea shop online to sell tea around the world, right? That's very different than opening up a tea shop in the middle of town, even though the tea shop in the middle of town may actually require more work, more permitting, right? What you have to look out for is very different. So you have to be aware of a couple things. You got to be aware of intellectual property law. You got to be aware of corporate business law. You got to be aware of, of Uh, consumer protection law. Um, You've got to be aware of environmental law, right? All these things kind of come together on Amazon. So so being an e-commerce lawyer, in my opinion, is sort of having a national and international-minded focus and being sort of in tune just enough with certain bodies of law that are really important to e-commerce sellers. Doesn't mean you have to be the world's trademark expert. By no means Mm is that required, right? Um, But you do need to know when you'll need that expert, right? Sometimes you got to call in uh for reinforcements if you have a really complicated case but um what i think makes e-commerce law interesting interesting it's very scalable because it's very it's very like we kind of know our clients better than they know themselves even before we've met them right even though the products are different even though it's like but we've been we've been through this before right we know just the amount of what they need in each area so it, it's an it's an interesting area of law that, that i think it's still being developed uh, to this day. And I I love the fact that we were kind of on the forefront of this.
0: Okay, so let's talk about the kind of cross border thing because that's the kind of stuff that I come across. If I'm a UK seller selling into the USA, what kind of things do I need to take note of?
1: Sure, so obviously you're gonna want again, intellectual property is key. So you wanna, whether you're in the UK or the US, but you wanna make sure you have a US, you know, if you're a brand owner, you wanna make sure you have a US trademark, right? You wanna make sure that that's happening, right? Because having just a UK trademark isn't gonna be enough. You want to consider what is your appropriate corporate setup. Like, do you need an LLC in the U.S.? You know, what are the pros and cons? Um, You want to make sure you have insurance set up. You want to make sure um, you have everything you need. You also want to make sure that you're complying with U.S. law. So that can be state law. That can be federal law. So, for example, there's, if you go on Amazon and Google Prop 65, Amazon, there's a whole page dedicated to Prop 65, which is a California-specific environmental law. That can get you, you know, not following, it can get you into a little bit of trouble sometimes. Um, so things like that are really important. So you kind of really need somebody to sort of be a navigator and help you figure out, and this is what we do with UK and, and foreign-based sellers all the time who want to sell in the US. If the product you're selling is, uh, you know, a bicycle helmet, you want to make sure that you're complying with consumer product safety commission laws CPSC laws. So if it's, uh, you know a product that is regulated by FDA, maybe you're selling um, some type of water filter that goes into a Brita machine or something, right? Then you're gonna, you may need some FDA uh, help there. It, it's those little things, those little nuances that get people, because for for the longest time, Amazon didn't really police this stuff, now they are. So it's, it's we're seeing like, what we're seeing is, especially with FDA compliance, like Food and Drug Administration, FDA, um, a lot of people have kind of gotten away with not following it for the longest time. Now it's like their 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 listing is going to be just down for months because of because Amazon's now kind of cracking down on that. And that some of that has to do with the shift of how Amazon sort of sees liability and who's responsible for what you know when things go wrong. So that that's there's sort of a whole other story we'll probably get into later about that why that is, but that's that's sort of what we're seeing in a nutshell.
0: Because I've really noticed that, I mean, Amazon particularly has ramped up. It used to have, it's now this kind of account health thing. There's all kinds of different policy compliance things, which are very, very hard to answer. And I've actually just spent the last two days trying to solve an Amazon suspension problem, which has been very boring. Um, What is your right as a seller, if you get an account suspension? um, What are your rights as a seller? Is there anything you can do from a kind of legal point of view?
1: So what are your rights? I mean, you don't really have a lot of rights in that, you know, in the United States, at least. You know, you're limited to sort of certain arbitration. You know, Amazon has the right to sort of, you know, protect itself, right? So you're, you're kind of running up against that reality. So, you know, your rights aren't really clear. What we do know is that in our work and working with the antitrust subcommittee sort of being advocates for sellers. So in my spare time, I run a nonprofit called the Online Merchants Guild and we advocate what I've learned though is the way to sort of establish rights with Amazon, you know, especially if you're a US-based seller, is to, you know, is to look at where Amazon is concerned. You know, Amazon's in a situation right now, we're in an environment where the government wants to break up Amazon, they want to regulate Amazon. So they're very concerned about members of Congress hearing horror stories, right? So if you're in a situation where, you know, you're unjustly shut down, right? And your business is, is, is at the verge of collapse, you know one way that we can leverage is we can, you know, we can work with members of Congress and say, Hey, look, you know, this is happening and and they may inquire on your behalf and they sometimes can get things done that others can't. So there's, there's a, and this is just sort of one example, there's many ways we can leverage the scenario and the environment that Amazon is in to try to sort of establish some rights. We did work on a law in California called, I believe it was like SB 66 back in 2019, which tried to sort of establish the first bill of rights, but actually and and there the idea was that Amazon had to it, it, what that actually led to was the seventy two hour notice. So if you if you actually want to know where the seventy two hour, hour notice came from, it came from our lobbying in and what California. What is this, this
0: seventy two hour notice? I haven't come across that.
1: So it's the idea that they won't suspend your account without seventy two hours of notice. Like well, they, saying, they say, you're on. Certainly,
0: you're... certainly doesn't happen in the UK.
1: Yeah, it's a U.S. thing. It's a California thing, but it actually has become a U.S. when California does it effectively becomes a U.S. thing. So that's the idea of that um, came from the United States. It came from there, but it's by no means like it, it's actually funny. One of the things that we've been pushing through our advocacy group, Online Merchant Guild, is the idea of a federally written seller bill of rights in the United States. That you know that that Amazon will not take certain action against you without appropriate warning and opportunity to cure and that the action will be reasonable and that they will handle it. You know, like, like we, we basically wanna see a seller bill of rights come about. That's actually one of our goals that we're trying to push. But for now, you have to navigate the suspension web and that's what we do. I mean, we have, we have a team and we have ways and we what we like to do is we like to work the process with Amazon and when that, when we feel that process is broken, it's not working, then we bring it up to Amazon's attention and we'll go through various channels, whatever channels we can, we'll go through if that includes members of Congress and who are who are interested in in seeing what Amazon's doing to the sellers. We'll do it and we'll show them the fact pattern and we'll get and and to get Amazon's attention so that somebody who with authority will actually look at this and say, "Huh, that's wrong," you know, that shouldn't be.
0: Because so, but had, it as I was gonna say, I just had an experience where we had a problem, we weren't selling. We had a, a um, Singaporean account which we weren't even using. Um, we yes. missed some policy warnings on it um, from his, kind of historical listings. Um, and they shut down not only the Singapore account, but they shut down almost every other account we have as well. So it's all our European accounts and our Australian accounts and our, and our Japanese accounts, which was was seemed disproportionate. Well,
1: I would look for those. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I'm not, know i am not ai am not familiar with the British political system, but I would, you know, I would not, I would definitely tell you. I mean, certainly we'd love to help you. So certainly, you know, after this call, I'd love to get online, get you on my team and, and have them talk to you and see what we can do. But I mean, one of the things you can do is, you know, you know, first of all, we still write emails to Jeff at Amazon.com as the, you know, sort of, you know, second to last form of escalation before we go other routes. But talk to your MPs. You know, I don't know who who politically in UK is most critical of Amazon and the monopoly. Find those folks and talk to them and let them know and have them make inquiries on your behalf. Like have them, because they can actually get right Amazon to respond. Right. Nice. They they have people on their committee that can say. Hey, one of my, you know, one of my constituents reached out to me and this seems really stupid. And it seems like your bot system is in a is in an infinite loop of nonsense. And my client, my, my constituent wants to wants to like bang his head against the wall. Could you please have somebody smart uh and with authority look at this case? And a lot of times it works, right? I mean, I had I had a, I mean, a mergers and acquisitions deal with an aggregator. It almost went totally afoul foul when a client submitted a uh Sorry, somebody from China submitted like a bogus takedown using copyright, uh, copyright act called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. No identifying, you know, identifying my client's own artwork that he drew as a co- as infringing on their copyright that they stole. You know, classic, classic, you know, move we see when China-based companies can act with impunity on the system, and. What we did was we knew who his state senator was. We knew him very well. And we said to the, you know, we sent an email to the state senator and said this happened. My clients about to lose a big deal. Um, you know, we don't have 14 days to wait for a re you know, this is really bad. Uh within 45 minutes, the senator contacts me and says, What is the seller's merchant token? Kind of like not sure what even what that means, but when a senator's asking for a merchant token, you know they're talking to Amazon, right? And then within an hour from that, I get an email from my client saying, bam, I'm back online. So, I mean, don't no. under, don't, you know, right now, like the way, what I try to preach is, you know, when I used to work for really big companies like Microsoft G, like we lobbied, right? We, and we worked together, but what we realize is like, these companies are not invulnerable. Like Amazon is genuinely afraid of regulation. They're afraid of EU regulation. They're afraid of US regulation. Hit them where it hurts right go after the find out where the weak points are and go there right it's a classic strategy to try to get answers to your questions but what i would do first before you do that is make sure you're in the right so i would work with work with people who know this stuff you know so like i like i said i would invite you you know to please talk to my team have us take a look at the case make sure that everything's in you know ducks in a row because i don't like to do that unless i know my clients in the right right like 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 amazon is completely wrong on this I don't want to do that and then find out, well, duh, you messed, you know, you were messing up this, that, and the other, because then you look, you lose it, right? Yeah. So I like to go to Amazon. I like to go, when I go to those escalation paths, I like to have clean hands, right? That's the key. I want everything's got to be perfect. All, all, even if you're wrong, it's okay. As long as you write, as long as you write the wrong or, you know, you know, as long as the right can be wrong, you know what I mean? So those are really important, but I, I would encourage you to, you know, don't, you know, American sellers, same thing too. Contact your congressperson, contact your senator, you know, those are always ways. But, you know, we help our clients do this all the time. Um, we really do. It's, it's, it's one of our many strategies that we use to push, uh, you know, to push, uh, you know, we had one over the weekend where we had to do something like that. And, you know, it works. And we, we have a good dialogue with Amazon because, you know, they know that, you know, Congress listens to us, but we're and we're not. You know, one thing is we don't we don't charge we don't charge our clients more money for these types of services. You know, this is all part of a, a flat rate plan. So it's like whether we get it done with one appeal or whether we have to go all the way to the mat, like it's one. We don't charge an escalation fee. Like we don't do anything like that. We don't profit from the idea that we're very good at this because that's to me is dishonest and improper. Okay. So it, yeah, it's found, just got to. I
0: mean, my, my experience with Amazon is that you've got to you've just got to they engage with the process that they they're, and just follow the process and you'll probably get out the other side because
1: absolutely I mean,
0: no i mean this is yeah I, I mean again what i'm talking about
1: is when the process doesn't work right when, when yeah. we can say we follow the process because the first thing we always do is we follow the process and then when there's an ir- irretrievable breakdown of the process that's where we go okay well what can we do for this person now okay yeah but we do have to show Coming in with clean hands, as I'm sort of saying, in my opinion, part of that is saying we did try to work the process. Yeah. yeah. The process doesn't seem to work, right? We're reporting this as almost like a bug, right?
0: Okay, cool. So I've got another question for you. Um, liability. So you've got you are a customer, you're buying from a, a wholesale or something, thought it goes wrong. What is your general kind of, you know, is the liability? Is that, is that with the, the retailer or is that with the supplier? What would be the?
1: Interesting question. So the way it works in the United States is if somebody gets injured using a product that you sold, even if you didn't make it right. Even if you're just a middleman, like you're just reselling or arbitraging, or if you did make it like everyone can be liable. It's called strict liability. So the seller, the retailer can be liable. That could be Amazon, right? It could be you, depending on who you ask, right? The court sort of see Amazon now as the retailer. So that's where the law is going. So Amazon is typically held liable. And then, um, but so, so basically it's a matter of who can you sue. So, so let's, let's put the logic of this, Let, let's take a step back. Imagine for example, you know, you bought a product, the product was made by, by a seller, uh, based in China. Um, you sue the seller in China. You can't sue the seller in China cause they're in China. There's nothing you can do. Right? So you're injured and you want to sue Amazon, but Amazon's like, Hey, we're just the flea market. We didn't do anything. We're just, we're just, we're just providing like the real estate digital real estate for you to sell, right? Now you're kind of out of luck, right? Well, that was the case in in um, Oberdorf, um, the Pennsylvania case. And that's kind of was the first case where the courts are like, wait a minute, Amazon's a little more than just kind of the real estate here. They're not just renting a mall, right? they the stall of a mall digitally, right? They're really more involved in the transaction. They're kind of are the retailer. And so there's sort of an injustice element that the courts are looking at. And they're saying, you know what, Amazon, you're going to be responsible for this because, to the extent there's going to be people in China who have no insurance, who are nowhere, you know, who can't be sued, right? Then there's a lot of injustice for those who are injured. So Amazon will now, now what we're seeing in the last few years is Amazon is now always named in every lawsuit. It seems like they're almost always named in every lawsuit involving injury. So if you sell a product, somebody gets hurt, most likely you'll get sued. Amazon will get sued. Um, and that's pretty much the way it goes. So what happens when when, 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 what happens when that happens, what happens to you? So Amazon will immediately say to you and they'll say, "Hey, um seller, uh we just got sued in this lawsuit. We need to know that you're going to hold us harmless, you're going to indemnify us, so please, you know, respond notifying us that you know, you're going to hold us harmless. Ultimately, you're going to have to do that, but the way you do that is you don't just say yes. You contact your insurance company. Now, now most recently in the last what year, or so Amazon started requiring that you name Amazon as additional insured on your insurance policy. So yeah, that should I think
0: that's just happened to me.
1: Yeah. So that's the case. that you have that insurance policy for at least a million to me, a million is not enough. I think it should be more. Um, that's but, uh, at least for the United States, cause our, you know, we're in the United States, we are, our, our, you know, liability for lawsuits is very high. Um, but Amazon requires a million required them to be named as additional insurance. So basically you're going to contact your insurance company and you're going to pressure them to basically give Amazon um you know you know assurance that you're covered. And that's pretty much it. Um and then from there your insurance company should hopefully handle the law, you know, provide you with a law firm and a lawyer to handle the case. And you shouldn't have to do much else from that. Okay. Um but that it's it's but the, the reality is that's you know back in the day before there was this requirement that Amazon Before you even had to have insurance, Amazon didn't check. Like They required it, but they didn't check it. There was just a lot of people selling on Amazon. And what shifted was cases like the Oberdorf case where the court said, no, Amazon, you are actually liable. You are strictly liable. You're part of the strict liability chain. Um, That's what sort of changed. And that's where Amazon started going and saying, okay, we're actually going to police this insurance requirement now. So Amazon is actually police you. So in some ways it's better because now everybody has insurance. So you should be covered. You'll have your, you know, your insurance company will provide you with a lawyer. Um, but it's, it's, that's the, the nature. And, and just so people understand how strict liability, liability works. The idea is that I as the injured party have the right to sue anybody in the supply chain, right? From up, you know, from anywhere from top to bottom, right? From manufacturer to retailer, whomever I can recover from. So let's say, you know, you're unreachable, you sue Amazon, you win. Amazon still has the right to sue up the chain, going to you or your supplier to recover their losses, saying that you're the ones who actually are at fault. Nice. It's just it's just the idea the idea of strict liability is that the consumer, the injured party should not have to struggle with trying to find the appropriate party. Like everyone in the chain is liable jointly and severally, as we say. So it doesn't matter who you go after, you're all liable. And then it's up to the supply chain to figure it out among themselves how to. Really redistribute so, the. What I want say it's
0: properly insured. I think is that would that be the take home? Yes, and really,
1: you know, consider um, consider more than a million. I would say, and and the other thing is also let look at your insurance policy and consider other policies such as um, errors and emissions E policies. Ask about things like Prop sixty five in California, Proposition sixty five in California. It's environmental law. Ask about not having a website that's compliant with the Americans with Disabilities Act ask them what coverage you need for something like that? Because those are the things that are getting people to, this is not necessarily Amazon specific, but these things do happen when you're in typically a lot of Amazon sellers have a website. Amazon does have a proposition 65 issue, a uh, uh, disclaimer on their website. You know, I would talk to your insurance broker about these types of issues and see if you can get additional insurance to cover those types of issues as well. So, I, you know, some, sometimes it's called PO and O errors and emissions assurance, but talk to your broker about that. Just getting those extra, extra bits of coverage for, for those kinds of things, if there's any, you know, incidental infringement insurance that would be great too, you know, for accidental infringement if it's possible. Um, but and and like I said, more than a million is probably better. If it's not unreasonable to get, you know, two, three, four million, it, I, I would pay for it. You know, the bigger you are, the, the more I would pay for it, for bigger insurance also.
0: Okay, so what about um, I got a question for you? I don't know if you do much stuff with eBay these days, but we I've had a, a, a various um, eBay Vero Vero complaints, which is where someone has been accusing us of of um misusing their international intellectual property and it seems to me that there's these companies that brands will hire a company to to police this stuff on 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 their behalf and they will accuse the seller of doing something and you know a lot of the time it, it seems that they are overzealous but there's no way of, of it's, it's very difficult to get the thing removed have you got any advice about that yeah
1: are you now are you talking in the context of reselling or are you talking more in the context of of just you know, being very aggressive with with, with no, accusations. Uh, more pressure. specifically,
0: because I'm a reseller. So for example, you know, we would buy a product from a wholesaler and the wholesaler would say, yeah, yeah, you can sell that wherever. We're listed on eBay. Um, the company would, um, you know, the, the brand would, would have some person um, policing their, their um, brand and they'd say, oh, this seller is selling this product. He's misusing our intellectual property. So we have bought a product from a registered, you know, a, a legitimate wholesaler but uh, this brand is 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 kind of illegitimately getting their products removed from eBay.
1: So I'm gonna to have to go back and look at Vera. So this is so we have the same issue with Amazon, right? So we we have a ton. We've developed a real like cult like following in one of our programs called Seller Basics with our resellers because of our aggressive approach on people. So brands using you know. So this sounds what this is. tell me. This is what this is. But like, let's say I'm selling. Um, Let's say i'm selling a north face jacket or something a fleece from north face and north face will use you know brand registry tools maybe to 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 report infringement or counterfeit yeah even though it's it, not a counterfeit
0: it's a it's a even it's... like yeah
1: no i bought it from i brought it directly from your website or i but right and they're saying it's because you're not an authorized dealer right so they're trying yes. to control distribution map violation well number of reasons right and so they're saying that then they're trying to rely on a body of case law that sort of you know, a little bit gray that sort of takes what we have as the first sale doctrine in the United States. And this idea that, you know, you have the right to quality control and certain other elements that, you know, to basically say that if you're not following those guidelines, that could be infringement. So in Amazon land, there's a clear policy on Amazon that you cannot use Amazon's brand registry tools for the purposes of controlling distribution. In other words, Amazon says we respect the first sale doctrine, which is the U.S. law doctrine that says anything you own legally, you have the right to resell legally. Does that make sense? Yes. Right. Same in the U.K. Right. Amazon. Right. So Amazon has this law and it's very clear. Uh, So what we do with Amazon and we do this uh, more often is we say, you know, what we do is we go after when brands file these IP complaints against our clients, our members of Seller Basics. It's a free service we provide. We go after the brand. And we say, look, if you don't retract this thing right away, we're going to package this up to Amazon and let them know that you're abusing the brand registry system and get your brand registry rights taken away. And that's something we've done, right? Amazon has told us that the work we do, they will strip a brand of their brand registry rights if they find out that they're using services like brand registry for purposes of enforcing distribution, you know, trying to control distribution, limiting, limiting resellers, et cetera with eBay, it's even crazier. So I don't know the Vero policy off the top of my head. I'd have to ask my team because we don't get a lot of Vero clients, mainly because for one, it's not believable on Vero because let me tell you, when you buy on Amazon, one of the reasons why why it's murky is because people who shop on Amazon, they see Prime, they don't necessarily understand like they're not buying from Amazon. Like Amazon's done a very good job of like making the process so fluid that you don't even know, right? Like if you go... Alexa, buy me a pair of, of, of New Balance sneakers. You're not going. Alexa doesn't even tell you who the seller is, right? Like, I mean, it's just like it's just like most people don't really even know. They just see Prime and they click, yeah. right? So there is a real potential argument that there is some confusion to be had on Amazon about whether you're buying from Amazon or you're buying from a seller. But with eBay, and this is the right out of the Williams and Sonoma case, by the way. But with eBay, it, people know. Right, people know eBay, you're just kind of like you don't know who the hell you're buying for primary language, right? So it finds I find it hard to believe that these brands actually can enforce try to enforce distribution rights on eBay. Cause it's like that's you know, I don't know what your expectation is when you buy from eBay, whether you're getting a factory warranty or what, but uh it seems less believable. But my guess is if I were to go through Bureau of Terms of Services, there's probably a clause that says they're not allowed to use Bureau for this reason. So what you need to be doing. And what I guess my team would be doing in that situation is similar to Amazon. I was telling the Bureau that this is bullshit. Pardon my language. I, I do curse. I am from New Jersey. I am flawed. <laughs> um, uh, but this is BS. eBay, these guys are not really infringed upon. They're just trying to control distribution. Um, the other thing I would do is I would, again, raise it to your politicians, right? Because the anti-com- anti-competition laws in Europe and in, in the UK are so much stronger than the US in some ways that I would actually say, hey, these companies are trying to destroy my business uh, by lying and saying, you know, and interfering with my right to first sale. If you have a similar doctrine in the UK, I would certainly push that. But I would actually, you know, I'd love to look at the case and I'd love to go back and I have to reread the Vero terms of service. But I have to believe Vero has clauses in there that's similar to Amazon. So Amazon, you can find it in the intellectual property policy. You can find it in the seller code of conduct. That all the stuff is that they are subscri- that they subscribe to the first sale doctrine, and it's, a mo- and it's a violation of their policy to use a brand registry tool for such a purpose. I have to believe eBay has the same policy in and Europe. And if not, uh, I may reach out to some friends of mine at eBay and ask them it's, why. It's not? Gen-
0: in my experience, it's generally something like they want to say, you know, you need to. They'll accuse you of of using the assets without, you know, the photographs, et cetera, without without um, permission.
1: Well, okay, so so this is a tricky one, but like, don't. Like when you resell, like I always tell our clients, like when you set up a listing now, easier on eBay than Amazon because Amazon, you're under one common listing, right? You're under the ASIN system. With eBay, just make sure you're not using their photos, right? So you got to take your own pictures, right? And, um, you know, don't use any of their, don't use their, don't copy and paste their language. Write your own stuff. Use your own photos of the product. And then that, because if you do use their pictures and you do take their content, then they have an argument that there's some infringement going, and then there's cop, counter copyright issues, right? Because those are the, they they have the right to use those photos. They did not give you a license to use those photos because you're not authorized. So I would say first things first is yeah, check. That's what I would want to check. I want to check and see what are they, what are what are you guys doing in terms of how you're listing the products to make sure we're not running afoul of any other things. So that's that's a classic one a lot of our clients make that mistake when they list on Amazon for the first time, we'll just take the photos, stock photos from the website of the company. I'm like, don't do that, please. You know, okay. change it. And
0: so, okay. Right. Customer abuse. If you've got a customer that uh, buys something from you and they send you back send you like a brick in the post, what can you do about that? Yeah. I mean, if it happens enough times, I mean, definitely, like I said, you know,
1: complain. Amazon has report abuse, uh, um, report abuse, you uh, um, uh, 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 email handles and and I believe even links now in seller central. Um, there are you know there are ways like if it's a real problem you know sometimes it's just a rite of passage like it happens once a blue moon sometimes it's just better off just writing it off but if it if it's happening enough or it's affecting your business um, you know definitely escalate the issue you know send an email to Jeff and again talk to your members of Congress if it's a problem talk to us um, we'll help you know we'll help you but I mean there's 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 ways to do it Um, you know, I always look for things like, um, you know, I always say, check your voice of customer, um, check your VOCs, always monitor those and just see what people are saying when things are getting returned. Um, you know, my favorite one, like there's, you sort of have these abusive returns and the people just write, like, you know, this product made me sick. And then you realize that, you know, the product was put back into inventory. So how could it have made you sick if it was never opened, right? Like if it's, you know, like if it's a, you know, an edible product or something like that. So. There's always, just always monitor things, but, you know, there are ways to escalate this stuff, but I would definitely open a case and fight, fight for that. You know, if it's affecting you, um, if it's happening a lot, open up a case and and fight. And then, you know, if, if anything, I, I just say, reach out to us. I don't know how to tell you what we do. That's good. We just, we're good at what we do. I don't know what it is to tell you. Like, I mean, I don't mean to sound like, you know. The only thing is like we're also very cheap. Like the other thing I the, the thing about me is like my mission is to end the suspension business. like I actually want it to die. like I hate it. I, I fundamentally think it's it's the biggest distraction and waste of time that we do, but it's such a necessary thing that we have to do. So like we become good at it because I want it to go away. Like I, it's like my mission to like, you know, the unnecessary suspension stuff that we deal with on a day to day basis can just like be such a time suck that we can all be doing better things. So we yeah. do it cheaply, we do it passionately. Um, all with the goal of like trying to help Amazon like learn from their mistakes and not have these things happen. So if it's if it's happening on, on a grand enough scale, um, you know, there's things we can do that just sort of, again, get it, try to get it in front of the right people um, and, and get you some recourse for that. But certainly, you know, start by filing a claim with Amazon. Um, and I'm sure my team who does this on a day-to-day, like, you know, I got actually, actually a team of people who, you know, ex-Amazon sellers and and, and whatnot who, who just know the stuff cold better than i do who probably have ways to handle it but definitely don't take it lying down you know if it happens once yeah maybe okay but i mean if it's happening at a level where it's really affecting your ability to do business let us
0: know it does seem to me with amazon that there's almost like half the business is trying to get you to succeed and the other half is trying to get you to fail
1: yeah i don't
0: i don't know I, i think
1: amazon i have a mixed feeling about it i mean i think they make decisions they make them sometimes too swift they make them without thinking through i think that so they love Amazon is resellers because resellers do something that's really great for Prime members, which is they sell below map, right? Yeah. Resellers will commonly break and make map pricing, and that's awesome. So if I can buy a North Face fleece, even though you know I'm making a profit off of it because I bought it at TJ Max or TK Max if you're in the UK, um, but uh, you know from from the standpoint of it's the best price on the internet and it's below map, you know, and this is why the resellers hate. This is this is why they hate you at. At the different the brand because because it's on Amazon, it's being advertised, right? It's being advertised on a website, right? Whereas like TJ Maxx does not advertise the prices, right? Like when you go into the store, you only know the prices once you walk into the store, but they're not being like broadcasted, right? You can't really see it so well, so it's like plus those stores are multi-billion-dollar companies, so there's not a whole lot they can do to bully those guys, but they can bully the individual sellers. So using Vero sounds like the latest and greatest. I'd love to look into it more. I to talk to my team and find out what we can do about it if it's a real problem, but you definitely yeah, should not be using it, beer
0: often. Something that happens occasionally, and it's normally to do with the the images. Yeah, you know, so that's the trick:
1: It's just make sure that you're using you know take your own pictures, and that's the that should help.
0: Okay, that's good. Um, right, so claiming if you got um, if Amazon refunds a customer um, uh-huh. and uh, they you know they because they, they, if you're like doing self-fulfill prime or, or something like that, then you sign a thing which says they have the right to do whatever they like. And my experience is, you know, have something like a parcel have been delivered, the customer says that it didn't get delivered, um, and Amazon just give them all their money back, even though it was sent by an Amazon service. And yeah, and then you have to do a safety claim. I mean, is there anything you can do about that as a seller? I mean,
1: look, if, it, if it's an issue, if it's a problem, like, I mean, right now, like, we're having an issue with like, people getting their, you know, Amazon, Amazon saying we left and right, that they're not getting the packages received by Amazon, right? Like they're, they're being under, you know, they're submitting 30 units and zero are getting credit for none. Um in this case, you've got customers abusing again abusing the system saying I mean no I mean you report it to Amazon um and if it's substantial enough and it's worth your time then you keep finding it you know you keep pushing the envelope you keep I mean pushing the agenda that this has happened right um keep opening that case keep saying you know the customer is wrong you know whatever evidence you can show um the more ridiculous the better the case right I don't recommend necessarily you do that for for a small thing but you know if it happens, you know either a lot or it's a substantial item and it's causing you substantial losses absolutely you should fight it just keep fighting it i find a corner at means... all times yeah just just be persistent go go above send an email to jeff at amazon send a tweet to the twitter team right uh talk to your mps or politicians i mean seriously these are the things that work right what you're trying to do is you're trying to get out out from out under the 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 ai bots and and sort of low wage workers that just kind of get paid to to move your case along to the next uh you know to the back of the queue from the front of the queue to the back of the queue and get to people who can really make a decision. And and you if, if you feel if you feel like justified you were really wrong in something, I think you I think you can find relief. I absolutely do think you can find a, find find what you're looking for in that scenario. But, you know, would I do it if I'm losing 10 bucks in the matter and it's once in a blue moon? No, I don't think it would be worth your time or anyone's time. But if it's real, you know, if it's happening a lot and it's, you know, it feels like abuse um, or you have really substantial evidence and you want to make a point. Um, absolutely. Go for it.
0: OK, so I know it's something um, you're, you know, involved with Amazon Antitrust. What, what is the future of that? Do you see? What do you think that what, what kind of things are going to happen to Amazon in the next few years?
1: Yeah, so so I have this nonprofit called the Online Merchants Guild on the Merchants Online dot org. And what we do through that organization is we try to get Amazon sellers to work together and unify. And I would strongly suggest everyone just Google it, read about what we do, our court cases that we fought. Um, but one of the things we did was we were the most cited resource in the antitrust report on Amazon's mistreatment of Amazon sellers. So during the whole tech inquiry, um, throughout 2019, 2020, um, we were submitting reports to the antitrust subcommittee in Congress, basically telling them, hey, these are real experiences that Amazon sellers have experienced. Um, you can read our, our submissions on the antitrust website. You can read the report on the antitrust subcommittee website through the US government, it's public. Um, and what we're trying to do is, yeah, we're trying to get the government to, one, just sort of recognize the Amazon seller as a sort of, as, as you know, these are their constituents, right? We're the voters, right? Amazon is one powerful company. The Amazon sellers in the United States are you know, a million plus registered voters, right? So we believe we should have a voice and we're trying to get them to acknowledge that yeah, Amazon makes a lot of mistakes and they do a lot of things wrong. Now, does that mean they should break up Amazon? I don't know. There, there was legislation that was proposed. I thought the legislation was very weak. I didn't think it was very good. So we did not necessarily support the legislation. What we tried to do and what I still would like to do we try to get more Amazon sellers to participate in the organization so that we can create what's called a seller bill of rights. So that we can get some legislation passed that would basically like, instead of having us go through this guessing game of like, what do you do in this situation? Like we actually can actually have a codified federal bill of rights that when these things happen to Amazon sellers, they have certain rights, right? That that way they don't have to lose sleep at night that this may happen to them or that may happen to them. And that's what we really wanted to see. what the what the antitrust subcommittee proposed as far as legislation what ultimately got proposed in my opinion was not sufficient it was broken legislation it would have led to nothing more than a decade's worth of litigation and probably very little outcome out of it uh it just wasn't good it wasn't it it didn't it didn't get to the root of the problem and it just gave amazon a big big exit like there's a big loophole amazon could use to get out of it so we didn't like the legislation that they were proposing so um but so In this environment, though, Amazon is still very fearful of legislation. They're very fearful of Congress. So that's why I'm saying it's a great time to leverage your members of Congress if you need to to get help. You know, if you cannot get what you want, if you have been unjust, you know, if you're subject to some real abuse or unjust treatment, now is a great time to talk to your members of Congress and have them ask them to send your write a letter and say, "Can you please send this to Amazon?" I want to know why this is happening. You can you please make an inquiry for me? Because I can't get through. I'm talking to an AI bot. I want to blow my brains out. This is crazy. Right. Okay. I just, just drive me up the wall. Talk to them. Um, it's a perfect environment to do that. So, um, but what I would really like to do, what I would really, really like to do is I would like to raise, I don't know, maybe $10,000, 20000 probably, nah, probably $30,000 a month. That's probably what we need $30,000 a month and hire a lobbying firm and just have our voice being You know, on the ground floor in Congress in Washington D.C., have our own seller lobbying firm that we engage, representing solely our interests and our interests only, out there speaking to members of Congress so that we can push for our agendas. Because we're 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 powerful enough that to raise thirty thousand dollars a month among millions of sellers throughout worldwide should not be hard. But yet it's it's been the hardest thing I've ever had to do, and I can't. We can't. We haven't done it yet. So we're always looking for leaders and gatherers and folks who can really be social and influential to get sellers to work together raise the money so that we can do some real um legislative change in congress to help protect the e-commerce and Amazon seller right i mean there's so many issues out there that congress needs to address regarding selling online including taxes still this day still a mess Um, and uh, nothing's being done because we just can't seem to figure out small businesses that when we work together, we are the most powerful lobbying force in the world. Like we, we will be so strong, much stronger than Amazon. So hopefully one day it'll click and resonate with certain people and we'll get the type of leadership that we need who can really help us voice that message and, and get us all working together uh, on such a, such a goal. That's my my hope because to me, it's just important. And it's, it's I do this as a volunteer thing. It's just fun for me. Um, it's interesting. It's it's the future of, of, of the law. Um, and it's cool to be on the cutting edge, so I'm happy to do it as a as a, just a pro bono kind of thing that I do um, with my time. I think it's a lot of fun.
0: Oh, yeah, because that's uh, that, I think that sounds great. Because I think as as I, mean, I know as a as a small business myself, you just get beaten up by everyone. And It would be great, and I, I feel that these big tech companies do just take the piss, as we say in the UK. Um, oh, no, you know, they take the piss. Yes, it, it would be great. It yeah. would be great to have, um, you know, just it. It all feels a bit one sided at the moment. So, okay. anyway, I've got a so what is the M and A? I know you do a lot of M and A stuff. What's the M and A market like at the moment? Because you know there's a whole lot of activity on Amazon with these Amazon aggregators. What's going on? What are you seeing?
1: Okay, so Amazon aggregators is an interesting part of our practice. We did about two hundred million dollars in Amazon M and A deals as lawyers. So we're not we're not the broker. We're not trying. We're not trying to broker a deal. We're just simply a lawyer, and we're predominantly a lawyer for the seller. We we took a very very early on in the aggregator bubble in 2020. We took a a uh, so so in 2020 we've been working on these deals probably 20 2019 with uh, um, some of the early aggregators 28, I, I don't want to say as far back as 2018 but um, we've worked on it for a long time and we we in 2020 we took a position and we're going to stop representing any aggregators any buyers we're you know we're very much a seller advocacy law firm. We didn't like the idea of being strong arming small sellers. We just thought that was that would not be a good look for us. Once we realized how common this was, we'll still represent buyers in a one-on-one deal. Like it was just, you know, Joe buyer versus Joe sell. That's fine, but we will not represent, you know, big agra, big agra, not agriculture, <laughs> but big agri, big aggregator. That's good, I love it. Uh, yeah, we will not do that. We just don't think it's appropriate for what, for, for who we are and how we identify as a, as a law firm. So anyway, so what we saw last year is we saw a real big bubble. We saw, uh, you know, if you you had the twenty third best avocado peeler on Amazon, you were getting top multiple for your product, even though it was just like, you know, you just started selling the thing a year ago and you pulled it off off Alibaba, you know. But you know, it was it was a crazy time. So we saw multiples go from you know in the twos, you know, in terms of like closing cash. Um, which is what the only thing I really care about when I deal a deal with my client is the closing cash. Like all these extra earnouts and, and and gravy items, they're gravy. So I don't like to, you know, they can be all over the place, and there can be so many strings attached to them. It's just it's better not to actually take them into consideration as value and just treat them as gravy because they oftentimes don't work out. Um, and if you're relying on that as a source of, of part of your deal, then you shouldn't do the deal. Like if, if you need that earnout to work out for you in order to feel like you're getting a your good deal then it's not the right deal. That's why I always tell our clients it's just it's just there's so many things that can go wrong um, and so little recourse you have especially since suing somebody in a deal like that can be cost can cost more than than the earnout is worth in the first place. So it's just 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 already a negative value type claim where the juice ain't worth the squeeze as they say. So that's your starting point. So always focus on closing cash. So we would see closing cash for some companies like in the twos you know, 2.5, 2.7, you know, going into 2020. 2020, we saw kind of what I would say is if you're under a million dollars in earnings profit SDE, which is uh, discretionary earnings, however you want to calculate whatever that number was, that was the basis for which the multiple would be applied. If you were under a million, typically you would get three to three and a half at most going into 2021 uh, in terms of closing cash. And then maybe another one to one and a half in terms of those sort of, you know, uh, uh earn out possibilities whatever they may be but what we saw kind of going into the second half of 2022 sorry of 2021 that was 2020 is we saw a shift and we started to see you know first we saw just a number of deals we were doing going up tremendously but then we were starting to see the multiples cracking like just breaking new records so suddenly brands doing under a million in profit were getting like five six x multiples which was crazy so um you could tell that there was a real bubble happening. Like, you know, it just was, it was so easy. You could literally just email, you know, hello to the list of a hundred aggregators on the internet and you'd have a hundred people wanting to buy your business. It was just, it was that ridiculous. How much, how strong the market was. There were new aggregators popping up every night. I call them fly-by-night aggregators. Um, They would just show up. They're like, oh, have you ever heard of like ABC elemental upside down brands? I'm like, no, is that a thing? I'm like, oh yeah, they're, you know, they just formed last night, or started by a seller, and uh, you know they got funding from their dad. It was just—it was just crazy. Everybody was was getting funding and doing this stuff. So, yeah, it bubbled. It bubbled like crazy. Um, in 2021, we did. Like I said, we did over 200 million dollars in deals last year. I would say we did over 100 million of those deals, like from October to December of last. So that fourth quarter was insane. Fourth quarter was the craziest quarter of my life as a lawyer. I've never worked. More in my life, I I almost died. Like it was ridiculous how much we were working. We were Christmas, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, New Year's. It was just nonstop. Then 2022, you got rising interest rates, you've got rising PPC costs, you've got all sorts of things happening. All of a sudden, like everyone's not doing very well, right? And so we had a nice, healthy inflow of letters of intent, new deals coming, but then suddenly they just weren't closing. So aggregators started shutting the doors. Declaring to the world that they're done buying for now. So, so what we saw was basically what happened is in 2021, a lot of these aggregators got what's called aggregator indigestion. So they were acquiring too many brands, and they didn't know how to manage them. They weren't as good at it as they pretended that as they claimed they were. Right. So they all said they were so good at it; they actually weren't. They knew nothing. You know, some of it was just like, oh, was we'll this just bump up PPC. That was literally the just the the uh, the the argument. So, at the end of the day. Uh, what ended up happening was, like, we've just seen a substantial downturn in the number of deals we're doing. Multiples have come down. The offers we're seeing are, like, in the three, you know, under three. If you're under, you know, half a million, it's, like, under three. It's, it's it's, it's like, really small deals. Um, even above a million, we're seeing, like, three to four multiples. We're just not seeing what we saw last year. So multiples have come down a lot. Deal complexity and sophistication has come up a ton. So this is where now it's like, okay, the deal is a couple million bucks. We're gonna see like the same law firms I used to work with at like Microsoft show up. And now it's gonna take us like, and instead of closing in like 45 days, it can take like four or five months to close because the lawyers, it's the back and forth. It's just nonstop. And it's, it just takes forever. So it's a very different environment today than it was last year. Last year was, I've never seen anything like it, but we did call a bubble. We did tell our clients, like we posted on Facebook last year, like this feels like a bubble. But nothing wrong with selling in a bubble, right? Like not, not for you, like as a seller, great right time to sell. Even if your earnout doesn't work out, you got 6X when today you'd get three. So mm. in some ways, you know, you made a good, you know, if you were eager to get out. What I will say this is this, and this is what was always sad about people who sold it. You know, a lot of times, a lot of our clients overwhelmingly, the overwhelming, you know, I always call up my clients afterwards and do a little bit of a, just a, just a check in and say, Hey, congratulations. What are you going to buy? You're going to buy a trophy. You need yourself a little token to remember this, you know, what are you going to do? And just have a little chat. And, and the story that I always hear most is that m- the number one reason why they sell is because they want to take their chips off the table. In other words, they're just, they've, they've, they've been living in fear of Amazon shutting them down at any given moment. That just this idea of being able to just get away from it and put it on somebody else's plate and just take the money and run was just, it was just like, you know, it, it was like nirvana for them to just finally be rid of it. You know, like, Hey, I've done this, done, taken it this far. At any given moment, I feel like Amazon could just pull the plug on me. Might as well just take my chips off the table and be done. And they are glad they did, you know, but it's, you know, that's not good for Amazon. Right. When we talk about like how Amazon sellers feel, that's, that's not, what you want, right? You don't want your your businesses that are running on your platform to feel that way. So I don't know if it shows there is a lot. Does anyone
0: enjoy selling yeah. Amazon? I don't know
1: if they do. No, no, but it's 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 a it's a it's an obvious necessity. They are the railroad, as we told Congress, they are the railroad of e commerce. We can't we can't do without them. So we're stuck with them, and and that's the problem. So I always thought it was sad because um, I always
0: that eBay is a place where people enjoy selling. But it just. No. I like.
1: I typically like eBay. Yes, I personally, when I sell, I still sell on the side, like not as much as I used to, but I, I go straight to eBay. I like eBay, but for me, yeah. it's occasional selling. But I don't think volume is hard on eBay. I think it's hard. I don't know. I don't know what it is about eBay, but like, you know, I, I can tell you with consistency. Like most of our clients are multi-channel. They're Walmart, Amazon, eBay, Shopify. But Amazon just with with the ability that had FBA. The logistics of that, I mean, they're just 90% Amazon. Like, it's just like they, it just, they just can't get the volume out of those other marketplaces as
0: they can with Amazon. That's the
1: problem. Yeah. yeah. You know?
0: I've got, look, I've got, it's been very interesting talking to you. I've got one last question, which I haven't warned you. About. Sure. I'm going warn everyone about this. What do you do when you're not thinking about e commerce law? What are you geeky about?
1: Oh, that's a good question.
0: And you um, read any good books recently? Seen any good films? Got anywhere interesting? uh i do love to travel
1: so i spent two months this summer in poland my wife's polish we have a house by the seashore so i had uh spent i have a great team who covered me and let me so i played a lot of golf uh i'm a flight sim i'm a gamer geek i used to work for microsoft i have an xbox i'm not on ps i do like to game when i have free time i don't usually have free time but when i do it's always fun to just like grab a joy con and just play a little bit um uh, i love flight simulators i love airplanes uh I don't know. I'm just a weird guy. It's like weird stuff. Um, and I like to just, uh, I don't know. I just like to relax. I mean, reading, I'll be honest with you. I hate reading books. Like I, I, I'm one of those people, like it's because I read for a living. Like I read all day, every day. Like I read these cases I read, you know, it's just like to me reading feels, so like I'll listen to books more than I like to read the books, but it's just, it's just like, I don't, it doesn't relax me. You know what I mean? But I do, there are good books obviously that I like, but you know, there's certain books that you know, the kind of books that kind of you know like outliers was like a life-changing book for me when i was younger right by malcolm gladwell just, it's a very that. Good it's just it, was, it was an awesome book you know richard branson's first uh, book i read when i was 17 years old right that was awesome right or 18 years old whenever it came out in 98 so probably 18 so um you know i love that story i love the book i love the story of you know the you know the original story of the high school dropout who who just built this you know empire and yeah you know he, he did some hustling his, on dad, his, way his dad was pretty rich
0: he, he went to his first interview in like a Rolls voice so
1: is that true <laughs> yeah
0: he's not nearly as he's not nearly as um uh, he's so pretty he well now, connected
1: no i just yeah well i think you have to be the start line. like there's always that element there's always something missing but what i liked the story was like you know that he was kind of like he was doing tax tax evasion like his first oh, yeah, did, r- uh, written yeah Rec- version records was built on tax evasion you know and just got caught you know and he learned his lesson and just fascinating story you know meeting you know with tubular bells and the whole story there but I, and again i was 18 so you know you take a grain of salt but i did I, I enjoyed that book um i'm trying to think of the books i've read recently but i just i just don't um and i don't i don't read as much as i should but i do try to listen to to books you know um as much as i can you know before bed i try to like just Put on an audio book and listen but it's it's weird how like i i just i read so much during the day i read so much caseload and so much crap it's just like i just it's like it's like it's just like I, it's turned me off to the to the the idea of reading for pleasures <laughs> it's like it's all hard i i read a lot
0: so <laughs> yeah i
1: know it, it, it's just like i read too much i'm like i've read enough i'm like i'm done I
0: like, tell uh do what you know, but I get, I, when i'm reading a contract or something like i can get to about through the first paragraph or something and it just does my head in so i can see what you mean yeah it's not just yeah. it's not like for you it's not just like reading a book for you it's like reading the densest thing which is the hardest to understand
1: ah, it's very dry yeah and, and then a purchase agreement contract and m a contract is the worst but I I you know those i enjoy it's just it's i've always been a fine print like you know I'll tell you my life story is like okay so I was an Amazon seller before there was a thing right I was flipping stuff in the early 2000s before FBI never thought you could make money or a living right I'm like I'm like paying for law school selling on Amazon but I'm not like this is going to replace my income. I could make my whole life off of this. Right. I, so I, I just kind of gave up on it and I would do it as a side hassle. And then I find out like 12, 15 years later that, Oh no, I, if I had just stuck with it, I probably would have been immensely rich and, and would have been early to the party. And and so I, I always have this story of being early to the party, but a lot of it is fine print. So like I was a really big, like mile hacker when I was in the, in the nineties, like I had already oh, figured huh. out these credit card, you know, like signing up for the credit cards and, getting those bonus miles and oh, yeah. playing different games and churning churning because i like to travel and i wanted to, i didn't have any money i was a student right like it was in college so like i was like i like the mile hack like i like to read the fine print i was always attracted to print, find finding little loopholes and and ways to kind of game the system it was always kind of fun but you there was no such thing as a blog then so i didn't know you could write blogs about it and make million, you know just being the blogger of it like, like you got the points guy now so i've always kind of been too early to a lot of parties but um no, I just I I don't know, man. I like I love uh I've always had a secret passion of want to be wanting to be a pilot. So I really do like um, when I'm not hanging out with my family, we're not doing like, you know, stuff you do as a family. Like uh I've always liked the flight simulators. I like like to just kinda go to different places and see stuff and I like to travel and I like to I don't know, just go places. I, I don't know. I don't really have I I don't really have a sound hobby. I don't really have no, a
0: new, Look, someone who doesn't say, you, you've answered, that's possibly the longest answer to that question that anyone's given. So I don't know, it's a weird, got, it's, nobody's got, ever asked
1: me the question, and it's like, and then I think, of, now I'm thinking they're weird, so I'm sorry, I'm trying to defend them. No, I think it's good. Look, it's, to it's
0: supposed to, it's supposed to be a, like, a question to, I don't know, yeah. it's, not, it's not a trick question, but it's supposed to slightly stretch you. Um, so, Paul, look, it's been great chatting to you, and uh, what, what was the name of your site again? It was um, your so, advocacy group.
1: So the seller advocacy group is onlinemerchantskill.org and anyone who wants to work with us in our suspension program, it's sellerbasics.com. And my law, my email is paul.ecom.law, which is our law firm, ecom.law, Raffles and Law. And I'd love to hear from you and, and meet anyone out there. We're always looking to meet good folks. But, um, yeah, that's what we got.
0: Great. Okay, love to speak to you and good luck for the future. Oh, fingers crossed, man. And
1: let us know if we can be of any help. Like, Please reach out to me. Let me know. Okay. Let my team take a look at it because, you know, sometimes they see things that even I miss. So they're very good. So Excellent. I welcome you to That's give them a try. Thing. So
0: okay. thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks
1: for Bye bye.